Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Amen. And give thanks for everything to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, will you pray with me, please? Oh, Father dear, here we are in a world with so much wounding and so much pain, so much loss. Here's our hearts, Lord. Take them. We offer them to you in praise, in service, in love. Help us to not miss a single opportunity that you have put in our path. May we be your hands and your feet. May people see your smile in our countenance and feel your love in our hands. We are so thankful to be here today. Lord, I thank you for each person here. Some of us on the mountain, some of us in the valley. But you see all of our hearts, and we trust you and have faith in you. It is not on us. It is in you that our faith is. And we will never forget, never, your great sacrifice for us, precious Lord. Thank you for the cross. Bless you, O precious Lord. We love you. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, sweetness. Love you, you, Dolly. Precious. We're at verse 20 today, giving thanks always for all things. Giving thanks always for all things. I must tell you, though, a story about this passage. John Lindell would uh, hit me on the head if I didn't tell you. You John, the pastor, James River, and I, we were always good friends all through those years. Pastors of some great churches, and we always enjoyed getting together. And he one time was going to preach a series of sermons on alcohol. And me being the true Baptist preacher that I am, I said, John, if you need some uh, good sermons on be not filled with wine, I've got them for you. He instantly fired back. And John, if you ever need sermons on being filled with the Holy Ghost, I've got some good ones for you. All right. So that was our little trade-off on that. I love that little story. Giving thanks always for all things. Giving thanks always for all things. Number one. Giving thanks. The passage is about worship coming from the heart. And it's interesting that the dependent participle here is giving thanks. In other words, thanks is the catalyst that kindles worship. That's really important. True worship has to come from a grateful heart. It, it, it pushes out an ungrateful dirge. And replaces it with a thankful carol. Few things are more despicable than ingratitude. Shakespeare 
Shakespeare called ingratitude the marble-hearted fiend. And then he went on to say, How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. And ingratitude certainly characterizes the society we live in. The medieval legend that John MacArthur tells applies to our day. God decided to send two angels to earth to gather the prayers of his people. One was sent to gather requests. The other one was to gather thanksgivings. The angel that was sent to gather up the requests had to make several trips back and forth, hauling the requests back and forth. There were so many. The angel who was sent to gather the thanksgivings was able to carry them all to heaven in one hand. It's interesting. In America, we have basically everything that we want, really. We have it in abundance, and yet we characteristically moan and groan about everything. No matter how good your house is, you'll talk more about what you don't like than you do like. No matter what kind of car you drive, you'll talk about the problems more than the benefits. No matter what your job, very few people will go for more thanks than criticism. The same is true of vacations. I'm reminded of what God said about Israel in the wilderness. Listen to this. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. God gave them what they wanted, but they were not satisfied. And that is exactly the way the United States of America is right now. You take all of the gods that we worship. you got sex, materialism. The list goes on and on. And yet we moan and groan about everything. Politics, sports, arts, education. I mean, you can make this list go on and on. We have basically all of it that we can muster. All that we want. You have some hobby. You can pursue it. You can follow it. You can do anything that you want to do, really, in our culture. And yet, at the same time, we are absolutely miserable. The most miserable nation in the civilized world, you are sitting in the middle of it. If you don't believe me, try to get in to see a counselor tomorrow. Or this week. Or next month. We can't get psychologists, psychiatrists, and counselors fast enough to deal with people who basically have everything. And one of the problems is we have forgotten the duty and therefore the joy of thankfulness. When we are focused on thank yous, your worries lessen, burdens become lighter. It's not like God gives us these commands to be unkind to us. God gives us every command he gives us to delight us. To make life better. And a person who perfects the practice of thanksgiving will never become a slave to prosperity or adversity. Thankfulness keeps us from being too proud about what we possess and from being too broken about what we don't have. It calms us when we might be overly excited, but yet lifts us up when we're headed for Despair. If a person is rich, if God has given him wealth and abundance, if God has also given that person a grateful heart, he cannot be too rich. You can be worth millions. 
But if you have a grateful heart, it'll never hurt you because thankfulness is a way of saying you don't deserve it, for starters. It's a way of saying you didn't do anything really to earn it, that it's all a gift. So a person who is wealthy, when they, when they give thanks to God, they don't have to worry about their possessions ever owning them. But then on the other hand, if a person is poor and God has granted them a thankful heart, they can never be too poor because they will bear up under the severest poverty. So the rich, and most of us in the room are rich by all the world's standards, the rich have to learn to find God in all things. Now watch me now. We who have stuff, we have a car, we have a house, we have a family. We need to look at those things and in all those things we see God. We say the Lord gave this to us. The Lord made this possible. The Lord is in this. Thank you, God. So the rich person sees God in all things. The poor person has to find all things in God. Notice what others find in families. Sometimes a person has to find in God. The lack of possessions that you don't have, you must delight yourself in the Lord instead. And so if the rich man is seeing God in all things, and the poor man is seeing all things in God, they are at exactly the same place their mental health. What is it they say in the United States of America for a family of four? If you make $70,000, you'll never be any happier. 70000 is the, the, the break-off line where you can pay for your house, you can pay for a car, you can pay for the basics of life. No matter how much more you make above 70000 year, you'll never be happier than at 70000 that, that number probably varies, probably 80000 now, but it stays about the same. All these studies come out, and they all come out about 70000 If you have a family of four, making 70000 you make more than that, you're not going to be any happier. And so the issue of life is, is in the abundance of things, not to love the stuff, it is to see God in the stuff. Or if you're below that number and you don't have the stuff, then you learn to love God more all the time. And those two people with that same mindset, whether you have millions or whether you have little, they're exactly at the same spot mentally, emotionally, in their outlook toward life. Now, if you put this passage in its context, and as you've heard me say, a text out of context is a pretext. When you put this text in its context, it's talking about how we're to live in the presence of others. This section of Ephesians is about others and how we live before them, how we walk in their presence, how the life we live. One of the reasons that we Christians have got to learn to be thankful is because if we do not have a spirit and an attitude of gratitude, lost people are never going to want our Savior. Our crusty dispositions. If we're the ones whining at work, if we're the complainers, if we're the ones who are never satisfied, what lost person in their right mind is going to want to serve the God that you serve? This is very serious stuff right here. The Christian in all of life is to have the spirit of thanksgiving, to have the spirit of gratitude. While everybody else is complaining, the Christian sees that for which to be thankful.
While others are struggling with the details, the Christian sees that which is pleasant. And that becomes a part of their demeanor. And the result is that lost people look at us, they see us, and then they want our God. What's the old saying? Uh, to win some, be winsome. You're not going to win anybody if you don't have a beautiful, winsome life. And it begins right here in this matter of learning to be thankful. So that's the first point. Now back to the text. Back to verse 20. Giving thanks. That's what we've just covered. Always. Wow. Giving thanks. Always. We are to never get tired of giving thanks. It should always be our ever-present friend, a never-failing sweet companion. Giving thanks always does not mean you walk around all the time saying, Thank you, God. 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 No, that's not what it means. To give thanks always means that we are always in a grateful frame of mind. It's kind of always on our mind. It's always kind of right there. I'll give you a good example. Goodson Borglum spent the last 14 years of his life sculpting Mount Rushmore. Now, he did not spend every minute of every hour of 14 years on that mountain. But you can rest assured that that project was the passion of his life. He'd be uninterrupted for days, planning and thinking. It was, we would like to say, it was always on his mind. Well, that's what it means to be giving thanks always. You're just living in this world of gratitude. You're just living in this space of saying, thank you, Lord. It becomes the attitude of life. Our mindset should be like King David. David said, my heart is fixed. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise always, always in everything that you do. Have a disposition toward gratitude. Think thanks. If you're going to write only two words down from this message this morning, if you're only going to write two words down, you write these two words down. Think thanks. You just live life thinking about what should I see in this situation or in this thing that I can give thanks for. Often in life, we see what we are looking for. That's why you have to build into your life. You have to build in times of thanksgiving. You can't just do it when you feel like it. You can't just do it when you want to. You have to build into your life the habit of thanksgiving. Now, I decided this morning, might well be as good a time as any, to show you how I pray for you and how I pray for others. And I can do this. I don't, I don't mind doing this because I'm not a great prayer warrior. I've told you that before. I don't pray and great things happen. It doesn't happen. Now, if, if I were a great prayer warrior and I were up here talking about this, then it would be bragging. I'm not bragging. I have nothing to brag about. I, just don't, I don't have a lot of power in prayer. I just feel as a pastor I'm supposed to pray. And through the years, I've learned if you don't have some system, teenagers, listen to me. If you don't have some method to pray by, you'll end up praying for me, my four, and no more. I've never known an exception to that rule. Ever. Now, my system is very expensive. It requires file folders. You can see they're about a quarter a piece that'll break you in the bank. You know, very cheap. I use file folders like this. I have one here. This is the one, my general prayer folder. And in a prayer folder, I'll grab sometimes something out of the back of a pew. Somebody asks me to pray for something as quick as I can. I'll write it down. I'll put it in. This is my general one. I use it. I have some things I pray once, one day a week. You see, there's Saturday, you know. I pray over things. One of the problems you have if you pray for the same thing over and over again, it gets to where 
you're not, you don't really see it. Then I pray. Here's my, this is a very special prayer folder. It's first of all prayers for pastors that are going through a hard time. Ruthie and I host 25 pastors in our home regularly. They'll be in our home week after next. We feed them, take care of them, we're good to them. And then uh, some of them I, I, have to, I need to pray for every day. Then right here, watch this. There's the Southgate section. As long as I'm your interim pastor, these are people on the leadership team. These are the leadership group, chairman of committees, those types of things. There they are. There's the committee members right there. That's the leadership team I pray for every day. There are other committees, teams I pray for. There's all your requests from last week. See, there they are. Becky uh, does a great job typing them up for me, giving them to me, and giving me phone numbers because I like to stay in touch with people if I'm praying for them. Then the last section is just general ones of people that are really pressing. But anyway, I just want you to know that right there, you are. Now, why do I tell you that today? Okay, I'm glad that you asked. That's a great question. Now, look here. Right in the middle of COVID, when we couldn't do anything, one of our pastors that I've prayed for intensely for years was grateful. grateful. He wanted to show his gratitude. He got on a bicycle and rode to my house, and he handed me this. And he said, this is for you to pray for the really special people you need to pray for. It's a little leather thing. It's got... Uh, I have learned uh, lists are not very effective for me in prayer. If I make a list, I can go down a list, and um, my mind can be on this person, and I keep going down. I've learned over the years, and you noticed in those folders, if I have to flip something, if I have to touch it and turn it, I'm more likely to really pray. I'm more likely to really think about the person. I have to take a second or two <clears throat> to touch it and turn it. Now, Here's why I'm showing you this in this message. Right here, in the middle of this right here. You usually start with this little prayer folder right here. That's where I start my prayer time. And right there it is. It says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So every morning, about 5 or 10 minutes into my prayer time, I'm reminded I have to stop in my tracks and thank God. And I always thank the Lord for you all. I thank the Lord that I have an interim. I'm thankful that I have an opportunity to be your pastor and come and preach. But what this does, it forces me, every time I'm sitting down with all these requests, and you've seen them, I mean, there's lots of them, it forces me to stop because I'm commanded by the Bible. I'm commanded by the Bible. If I'm going to make requests, I've got to add thanksgiving to it. And this reminds me. And so I stop. I literally stop right here. And I try to make sure that I take time to thank the Lord for things that are going on in my life. Now, the other built-in reminder that I use and have done all of my life, because my daddy was a preacher and taught us this, is always to pray before meals. I'm telling you, if you don't build half-to prayer times in your life, you won't thank, I'm thanking, thank you times, you won't do it very often. All through the years, my dad taught me to pray before meals. I pray in a restaurant. I pray at home. I don't pray long prayers, but I do pray because my master always prayed. Our master, the Lord Jesus, before every meal prayed. Therefore, I pray before meals because he did. So 
Um, when I pray, I'm thanking God. See, I'm forcing myself to thank God. If you don't force yourself to thank God, you won't do it. Trust me, I'm, I'm telling you it's true. Now, why would a pastor go out of his way and make a big deal about saying grace before meals? Because when I was in college... We'd go to the A&W a Root Beers place in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, the BSU kids. We'd all pile in there, and we would all dive into their, our food like a bunch of pigs. By the way, hogs still never say grace before a meal. I'll just drop that one right there. Okay. And you can take that home with you. Think about that. All right. With one exception. Down to the end of the table, there was one young lady who bowed her head and prayed. And I started watching every day. While the rest of us are diving in, I'm looking. And that's how I began to be romantically attracted to this lady right over here. So I have a special place in my heart for saying grace before meals. It forces us to be thankful. You have to find ways to force yourself to be thankful or you won't do it very often. All right, one more thought, and then we're done. Ready? Third, third point, third point. Preachers who preach through the Bible love verses like this where it just rolls out for you. This is great. Back to verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things. Now, you think I've preached a hard sermon. I hadn't even got started. This is going to put you, this is going to throw your hair back right here. <laughs> Giving thanks always for all things. Now, listen to me. This means that gratitude is never an option for you. you. You don't decide whether or not you're going to be grateful. You are commanded to be grateful. Many of us in this room remember Johnny Erickson Tata, the lady who was a great diver. She dove one day, not knowing that there wasn't much water. And she became up quadriplegic. We've, we've been reading her literature all of our lives, some of us. Johnny Erickson, who loves God with her whole heart, soul, and mind, Gave me one of the most important sentences I ever heard in my life. This lady who's a quadriplegic says, giving thanks, giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It is a matter of obedience. In other words, you don't thank God when you feel thankful. It doesn't matter whether you feel thankful or not. That doesn't count. You give thanks and then the feeling will come. You do it by faith. The Lord knows your heart. He knows you're not grateful, feeling grateful. He knows that. You're not going to fool him. And so you pray and you say, now, Lord, here I am. And I'm supposed to thank you in all these things. Now, I'm not feeling it, but you told me. And so, Lord, I'm going to obey you. And I'm going to say thank you. By faith believing, I will see it. I will understand. I will feel it. It will come. But I'm going to start by obeying you, and I'll obey the Bible, and I am going to thank you in and for all things. Through the years, I've tried not to be a hypocrite in my preaching. I've always felt I need to be very careful to make sure that I'm practicing what I preach or trying to. And um, I, I struggled with depression until I was 35 years old. 
My greatest regret as a parent is my little children grew up with a depressed father. I was 35 years old, was on the losing end of a church split. Yep, didn't, wasn't good, man. It was a bad time. Hit the bottom, and a preacher friend rescued me and helped me, and then a group of about 75 people welcomed me as their pastor, and they understood my mental condition, and God used them to heal me. So I have victory over depression. God gave it to me when I was 35 years old, and I'm grateful for that. However, I still have a predisposition toward depression. You know, have you heard the argument, is the, argue, is the glass half full or half empty? I, by nature, believe there's a hole in the bottle. I, it doesn't matter. It's going out as fast as you put it in there. I'm a pessimist by nature. I have long believed pessimism is the happiest way to live because life is full of pleasant surprises. You think I'm kidding. Ruthie knows I'm not kidding. All right. All right. Now, so, so I always have this predisposition toward depression. I have to be very careful. So I thought, okay, John, you're going to get up and you're going to preach this sermon this morning. And let's, uh, let, let's, let's, let's watch you practice this a little bit. So I have a regimen I do in the night. And, um, and, and uh, I had four or five things I'm really struggling with right now. God, why are you, what, what's going on here? What's happening? And so I prayed over the four or five things and made my request like I do, prayed. And then I went back, because I didn't want to be a hypocrite this morning. I went back over the same four or five things, and I looked and I said, now, Lord, I'm going to say thank you for that. And I'm going to lie here in the bed and I'm going to think about this. Where is the, the thanks in there? What can I say thank you for this trouble that can cause me to feel like giving thanks? I will obey you and give thanks. And I did that this morning. Those four or five things. And this is what separates the best Christians from the ordinary Christians, the extraordinary from the ordinary. Daniel. Daniel, when he heard the king's edict, they couldn't bow down to anybody else. When, when he heard the word, that he, he knew he was in trouble because he was going to keep praying. The Bible says he opened his window like he always did three times a day, and he gave thanks before his God. In the belly of the whale, Jonah said, I will sacrifice to you, God, with the voice of thanksgiving. The martyr, John Bradford, said of bloody Queen Mary, I have no quarrel with the queen. If she releases me, I will thank her. If she imprisons me, I will thank her. And if she burns me at the stake, I will thank her her. Now, why are we to live like this? Because our giving to thanks has to be constant because his giving to us is constant. If we ever quit saying thank you, you are saying, God, you don't give anymore. God, you're not good. Since we are commanded to always be thankful, we can be assured that God will always give you something to be thankful for. No matter how dark life becomes, and listen to me, no matter how dark life becomes, if God commands us to give thanks, you will always find something to be thankful for. This sits on our living room couch when you walk into my house. 
You take one step in the little foyer area. You take a left turn into the living room. This sits at the far corner of the house on the living room couch. Everyone who comes into our house sees this. There's always something to be thankful for. Always. Because we understand that God is good. And if we ever quit saying thank you, then we are saying we do not trust him in this moment. Now back to my little, my little ring, prayer ring. After I do obey the command to give thanks while I'm giving up all these requests, so I give him thanks. About five minutes later, I come to this passage. <clears throat> this is from the saddest book in the Bible, the book of Lamentations. That's pretty sad, folks, when the name of the book is Lamentations. Sadness. This is from the saddest book in the Bible, this verse. And it says, the Lord's righteousnesses and the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And so I've written a note to myself make every morning a spiritual treasure hunt. Because the Lord has promised me there will be something today. There will be a treasure. It's coming. And by faith I will say to him. So with the one passage I thank him for the past. What's happened. But then with the other passage. I thank him for the future. And I say whatever comes today. Teach me to receive it. As a spiritual treasure hunt. Help me to live in the spirit of adventure. Seeing that no matter what comes. In there I can find thanks. To give to you. As long as you live on this earth, dear Christian, as long as you live on this earth, you will never, one second in your life, be able to say, I have nothing to thank God for. Never, one second in your life. And as I've told you, Ruthie and I, we wonder sometimes why we've had to suffer an extraordinary amount. We don't, we don't understand that. That's none of our business. But what is my business is that I live life in this vortex of God's dealing and God's providence and God's decision and God's handling and God's pointing. And in everything, I always say, thank you. And most of the time, I can say thank you and mean it. But the Lord knows my heart, and sometimes I say thank you by faith. And I say, Lord, I will trust you to guide me to the point where in obedience what I'm doing will become the true feeling and attitude of my heart. Okay, that's enough. I think you're done, so I'm done. So let's stop right there. Put your notes away. Close your Bibles. Put everything away now. And we're going to pray. Put everything away. Everything away. When I pray seriously, I have to put everything away because when I pray seriously, I put my hands on my face. It's just a little habit of mine. I don't know where I picked that up, but it's just a habit of mine. And so I always encourage people, whatever your prayer habit is now, get, get in that position or get in that mind thought and let me talk to you. I want to be a part of a three-way conversation between you and the Lord. 
What is it that you never honestly said thank you to the Lord about? A sickness, a death, a handicap, a bill, somebody being unkind to you, the way you were treated. You've never one time said thank you, God. I'm going to ask you in faith. Just in faith. The Lord knows your heart. He knows that you really feel grateful or not. You're not going to fool him. He knows that. I'm going to ask you in faith for the first time to say to God, thank you. And then ask him, as time goes by, to reward your obedience, to reward your doing with feeling. Now, while Christians pray, if you're not a Christ follower, may I speak to you just a moment? Maybe somebody said something this week that made you want to become a Christ follower. Maybe something in the music this morning caused you to say, you know, it's time. Or maybe something in the message may have spoke to you. You never know. Maybe. It's possible. But maybe right now you would like to receive Jesus. And while Christians are praying to the Lord Jesus about difficulties in their life because being saved doesn't take away your difficulties that's for sure but while Christians are praying about that if you're an unbeliever could I offer you the opportunity to become one of us to join us in this journey in this adventure what kind of God is this that commands us to thank him and in the doing of the thanks gives us the feeling of thanks this is a wonderful God oh my why don't you come and join us at his feet and walk with us in this journey? And if you'd like to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. If this prayer says what you need to say, I'm going to ask you to repeat it silently as I pray. Now, the words don't save you. There's no magic in words. But if the words are expressing what you're truly sensing on the inside, this is really what you are experiencing, this is what you want, then, then the Lord will hear. And the Lord will respond. So... If you'd like to receive Jesus right now, maybe this little prayer will help you. If it does, use it. Here it is. I'll say it out loud. You pray it silently. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.